Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with addiction and mental health issues for several years. I'm walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Now, our safe home has four pillars, addiction, mental health, adoption, and diversity. Today, we're going to be leaning on three of them, addiction, mental health, and adoption. Today's guest is Katherine Becker, founder of the support group called Joys and Challenges of Relative Caregivers. She's a grandma who is raising her three young grandkids while her daughter struggles with addiction. When she tried to find a tribe of other relatives in her same situation, she didn't find a group that went deep enough or that was small enough to create personal connections. So she made her own group. It's recently received nonprofit status and her organization is raising money to provide financial assistance to grandparents and other relatives who are caring for or who have adopted their family members' children. So welcome, Catherine, and thank you for all the work you're doing in this important space. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate it. So what parts of your family story are you willing to share with us? You know, did your daughter start having trouble when she was a teen or, you know, how did everything start? She was. Katie is a 14-year addict. She started out with Xanax, opioids. It led into methamphetamine. And then in the last six months before she was incarcerated, she had been doing fentanyl. Um, It started, she had met my girl's father, who at that time had just moved to our area, he was a drug addict. And she got mixed up with him. And and that's sort of how it all came about. I I knew she had a problem. I did not know it was as deep as what it was. Wow. Yeah, we just did an episode about fentanyl. And it's terrifying when people choose to do fentanyl as their drug of choice. That's so dangerous. And her tolerance must be so high in order to just need fentanyl straight up. I actually heard that podcast that you did on fentanyl and it was terrifying. It is terrifying. And golly, something is wrong with our our culture. And uh, these, our kids are, are so hurting that they, they reach for fentanyl. It's like, Whoa, that's so scary. You must just be having to use so many tools to just stay focused and centered every day, knowing that that's part of her life. Well, I am the, the, what I say the good thing is Katie is incarcerated okay. and has been since May. Okay, good. I actually had her picked up. I found out she had a, a failure to appear and she had a theft. And I knew that she had started using fentanyl. A friend of hers had called and said, Mom, you know what's going on with Katie. And so I, I told her that I, well, she, I'm, I'm sorry, she told me that she had found out she was doing fentanyl. So I called the, uh, Hamilton County Sheriff's Department. I called Chattanooga Police Department. I called the Fugitive Department. Somebody called Getter. It's going to die. Yeah. 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 No one would do anything. <sighs> so I called the sheriff directly and I spoke with him and told him, I said, here's the way I look at this. My daughter has got two outstanding warrants. I know where she is. If she dies, I will sue you. That's where I am yeah. with this. I was terrified. He went that day picked up her, her boyfriend, and his mother for aiding and abetting. And I was actually speaking with a friend of mine, and they said, did you know that Sheriff Hammond actually had a daughter who died of a drug overdose? (gasps) So that must have really pushed a button, and he didn't want that to happen to anyone else. So. Yes. Well, it's it's sad that you had to go to such great lengths to get somebody to help you, but I'm glad you did. I'm glad they, they followed through and, you know, not like we really want our children to be incarcerated, but at least, you know, she's relatively safe. And I speak with her almost daily. Now she, she's a little perturbed with me right now, which I will get into in a few minutes. But she is supposed to leave there November the 22nd. But then she has a felony theft in another county that she has to deal with. Okay. And so I, I don't know how that's going to go, but she was supposed to go to rehab. We had talked about a rehab for her. It's a two and a half year residential program. Oh, wow. She had agreed to go and now she is backstroking. Okay. And so we had to have a hard discussion the other day and I haven't talked to her in three days. So I'm just giving her some time to think about it. It's yeah. just the way it has to be. She has to go. Yeah. Yeah. If she just comes back to the way it was, it'll be the way it was. Well, she thinks she can handle it. She said, mom, I'm not going to do it anymore. I need to go to work and I want to be able to see the kids. 
And she said, I just want to wait till after the holidays. And I was like, nope, nope, you have to go straight to jail. You have to, you have to. You've been doing this for 14 years. You can't do this on your own. So that's that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah. Oh, you are so smart. And I, I agree with you. If they could do it, they would have done it by themselves. You know, right. if they, if they can do it by themselves, they would have. Right. <laughs> right. So man, that must be so hard though. Where, where do you derive your strength and your, you know, conviction and, and ability to hold on to that boundary? My three children. Your three children. That's yeah. Right. They're six, five yeah. and two, and they will <laughs> never have her struggle. They're living their best life. They're happy. They're stable. They're just really good kids. And I'm not going to let them be hurt by that. Yeah. She is my daughter and I love her, but they didn't ask for this. Yeah. So, uh, God, they're little too. Whoa. And hold on just a second. Calibrating. This is such a <laughs> tough story. Okay. What is your plan to keep your, your kids, your three young children away from drugs? You know, how, how can people do that? Uh, you know, that's a tough one. And that's actually something that that we all struggle with being grandparents with our grandchildren, because in my case, the girls, both parents are addicts um, with the baby, just mom. Um, his his okay. father was not. We just have to teach him. We have to teach him now. Yeah. We talk with our children on age appropriate basis about their mom and, and about what's going on. And they don't understand drugs. They just understand mom is taking medicine that she's not supposed to take. You know, because they, okay. they're not going to understand that. But we're not going to let up on that because yeah. my situation is by the time I'm 78 years old, Elijah's just going to be turning 18. So what we have to do, we have to do now. Yeah. We have to set that we have to instill that in these children, how dangerous it is and, and the whole peer pressure thing. And, and we don't have a lot of time to do it in. Yeah. Right. I sense your urgency and I agree. You can't just wait until they're 12 or something. That's way too late. The drugs are around in like elementary school nowadays. It's ridiculous how easy it is for kids to find drugs if they want to. You know, it's it's not hard at all in any sort of public school situation or probably private schools, too. I don't know. But yeah, it's it's out there. And it's so important that uh, us as parents are super upfront about it and willing to talk about it and not just like reacting and freaking out when something happens, but preemptively going in and educating and informing and saying, look at your kids and my son, I, I believe too, my son's adopted and we don't know his birth parents, but I'll bet you a million dollars. His birth parents have an addiction. I don't know if it's a gene or whatever propensity, right? Absolutely. Because uh, of the way my son goes after drugs is like, crazily intense. So <laughs> I really pretty, pretty much sure he has that genetic piece of it too. So to let them know, listen, you guys have extra challenges that you're going to have to be aware of. Yeah. I think that's so important and at an age appropriate level, of course, like you said. So yeah, I know you've got your five and six year olds in cheer, right? Yes. Yeah. Or, or dance or both it's or both. just cheer. It, it's competition, both. cheer and dance. Yes. Oh gosh. Well, that keeps them busy. It does. Keep the troops marching. <laughs> yeah, I keep them busy, occupied, giving them things that they can feel proud about and that can help shape their identity and that kind of thing. That's that's really good. So, at what age did you get custody of your kids? What happened is Katie was living with the girl's father, and when she was pregnant with me, he had been in jail. Actually, had been in prison in Arizona and had gotten out. Had coming back down here. It was this whole big long awful story but in 2016 she was living with Danny when she was pregnant with Mia and they moved to Knoxville and so she got pregnant with Kaya while they were up there and I had Mia quite a bit after she was born I would bring her down here and keep her okay and then she got pregnant with Kaya and I stayed with her for about two weeks to help take care of Mia okay so when Kaya turned seven weeks old it was just right after Mother's Day of 2017 she called me and asked me if she could come home with the kids. And I told her, absolutely. The only thing is that you're not going to keep going back and forth. If you're coming, you're going to stay. Okay. You know, we're not going to have any of that coming and, and going stuff. So yeah. she did and she came. But I think she was already addicted by that time. It had gotten pretty bad. Katie never kept a job. She never paid a bill, never bought a diaper, never, you know, she just was mm. an unreliable babysitter, basically. Oh, 
And we, to some degree, probably did enable her. But the reason that we did was because we were afraid that if we didn't, she would take the kids and go. And we didn't have enough proof to be able to try to take custody and make her leave because it could backfire. So this went on for a couple of years. And then it started getting worse. She was leaving. She was being gone for five, six, seven days at a time. We didn't know where she was. So we took temporary custody of me and Kaya. And then she got pregnant with Elijah in 2020. So we got a phone call from the hospital and they told us that she had come in and they were already making plans to do something with the baby. So he was born on March 24th. We got a phone call on the 27th and wanted to know if we wanted him or if the state was going to take him away. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we brought him home on April the 1st and we've had him ever since. And then we went in October for an adoption hearing because things had gotten so bad with her. She was completely out of the picture and she'd been in jail a couple of times. We need to do this. So she showed up for the adoption hearing and they put it off until February. Mm -hmm. And so she came back in February of 2021 and showed up in court. And the judge asked her, he asked her some questions and he said, if I were to drug test you today, would you be clean? And she said, no. And he said, what would you test for? And she said, opioids. And he said, so you're telling me that you've known since October that your parents were wanting to adopt your children and you come into my court dirty. Mm. Hey, what do you want me to do? And so that was it. And that was probably one of the hardest days of my life. I bet. My daughter hit the floor and it was just, it was oh. awful. That's still my oh. child and she was suffering and she couldn't help it. And I, I realized that. Yeah. But yeah. I had to do the best thing for us and for the kids. Yeah. You're so stuck in the middle. I have such compassion for you. For you and so many people in your situation, you have your daughter, like my son, you know, I would do practically anything for him if, if it would help, you know, and I've tried just about everything I can do to help him. And you're just, your heart just breaks because you know how hurting they are and you know how hard it is to get out of this terrible struggle with addiction. But you've got these other little tiny humans that rely on you that you have to prioritize, sadly, right? It is. That's exactly right. You can't look away from the little ones. They need you more than the adult that's struggling. They both, they all need you, but you can do much more to help the little ones. So you have to put your energy there, yeah? (sighs) Yes. And it's a hard situation. Whenever Katie is out and she's high and she's, you know, she's doing her drugs and she's stealing, I don't help her. The only Mm -hmm. thing I've ever told her is if you're hungry, you can come get into my pantry. You can take all the food you want. Okay. But I've never given her a dime, you know, not since Elijah was born. That was when it stopped. Then when she went into rehab one other time, I helped her pay her rent there. I bought her clothes. I bought her snacks. I gave her money for her gas and things like that. I will help her if she's helping herself. Mm -hmm. While she's in jail, I put money into her commissary. I make sure that we do a video call once a week. If she needs to see the doctor for any reason, here's the money for that. Because unless they're indigent, which. She's not because of me. Yeah. So it makes a difference because there are people there who had no one. Oh, okay. So if she needs underwear or she needs toothpaste or things like that, I'm more than happy to help her. Plus I get a list showing what she gets. So I know where the money's going to go. Okay. Okay. That's Uh, good. The one problem that we do have is that she'll go through it pretty quick. And I'm I'm a lot her so much money a month. And once that's gone, you know, I mean, you're in jail. Yeah. What all do you have to do, really? <laughs> and she'll start calling me collect. And I won't take collect phone calls. I gave you money for this. You've already gone through it. And I'm sorry. And so, you know, we still run into that. But I will not, will not enable. Those days are over. Yeah, that's super smart. I I admire you. And I know how hard that must be. But in jail, say you buy her underwear or whatever. Is that something they can sell to other people? Is that what they do? Is that how she goes through it so fast? Maybe. You know, and they also, there are drugs in there. Yeah. So do I know for sure that she's not? I absolutely don't know. Yeah. I know they make drugs out of just about anything. Yep. Oh, man. They're so crafty. My son, when he was in rehab, he tried to make alcohol. He had his text by yeast to make pizza dough. He had this whole story. I need pizza dough. So I want to make it the homemade way. So they got yeast. And they got apple juice, the real kind. They're like, yeah, we want to be healthy. We want real apple juice, not the sugary kind. Because they were trying to ferment the dang thing. Like, dang it, you guys. 
if you could, if you could be that crafty and creative and resourceful in real life. If you could use it in a positive way. Yes, yes. God. Well, she was telling me that in jails that they stick paper clips in a light socket and get them hot. And that's how they light their cigarettes or whatever it is that they're trying oh to light. They electrocute. They give these people money so that they'll do it or give them whatever. Ugh. And there are only specific people who are brave enough, stupid enough, I guess. Oh, stick. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So. But if they could, like you say, if they could take that and, and use it in a positive way, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty ingenious if you don't die. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, they can get whatever they want, whenever they want it. Yeah. They just use up all their time thinking about how to get their substance. And I know that's, I mean, that's addiction right there is, you know, you're in jail and you're still trying to get your substance, you know, right. that's the power of addiction. Well, I hope she's able to stay away from that stuff when she's in jail and just kind of work on her healing. But man, it must be tough. To have it right in your face there, even in jail while you're trying to get away from it, you know? God dang. Well, it, it is. And while she's been in jail, she loves me and I'm the best mom and yeah. I appreciate everything. But is that manipulation? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't because they become a master of manipulation. Yeah. Master. Yeah, that's how they manage on the streets, right? That They're really good at that. Yeah. So, yeah, we have to be so careful. God, so hard. It's just like stuck between a rock and a hard place. And you... You have to always consider your children. Here's my question. Okay, say you just got off the phone with your daughter in jail and she's mad at you because of whatever you're wanting her to do, whatever boundary you've erected and she's mad and you get off the phone and you're upset and there are your three children looking at you. How can you turn on a dime? I'm sure you have to just turn on a dime, but how do you manage your emotions and all of that stress? I try not to have conversations with her when the children are around, okay. if they do happen to be around, I'll go to another room. But if she has gotten me upset, that's your question. If I'm upset, how do I deal with that? I just have to go outside and breathe. Yeah. I just have to breathe. Yeah. But, you know, at this point in our relationship, she doesn't get me that upset anymore. Things have been a lot worse than this. Okay. <laughs> I may be a little irritated with her, but I don't get to the point that I'm really upset with her. This is minor. Okay. Considering what we've been through in the past. Okay. You've been around this block a few times. Yes. Yeah. The last 14 years. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 14 years. That's a long time. Yeah. You kind of get sort of used to it, sadly, right? Just like, okay, here she goes again. You do. You sort of get numb. Yeah. I know you've created this support group, but you're sort of in charge of that. Are you also getting your own help? therapy or who is your support my husband is my support Uh, he is absolutely he he is phenomenal I did try to go to counseling a couple of times but I would talk to him and they're like well you know what to do you know you you've got this and so I would run out of things to talk about because it was kind of like I already know what I'm supposed to do yeah yeah. I fix things Uh I'm a fixer and so counseling never really worked for me I hear you because, yeah, it sounds like they weren't really meeting you where you were needing to be met at, at that point. So, And at that point, I didn't know. It's frustrating. I didn't know. My main issue that I had was just trying to get the tools to be able to deal with Katie while she's out and while she was you know, being so crazy. But yeah. that just came with time and with experience, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like you're doing an awesome job with, you know, protecting yourself and your kids and also being compassionate to your daughter. It sounds like you're somehow keeping all those plates in the air. I don't know. They're in the air. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. How do you avoid getting resentful? I mean, this probably wasn't on your agenda, you know, caring for your grandkids as parents, you know, your they call you mom, right? Yes. So how do you just wake up and not just feel resentment toward your daughter or toward whatever, toward your life in general? I would love to say that I don't feel that. I don't think it's resentment as much anymore. When we first took them, I was resentful. Mm -hmm. But then once I adopted them, it's like, okay, they're mine now. So it's not like I'm doing this for her. Uh And so the resentment kind of went away. The only thing that I do, I grieve. I grieve for my life. I grieve for the way things used to be. I grieve for the way my marriage used to be. Luckily, he and I are very good friends. But, you know, we're roommates. We're taking care of these babies and we don't have time for anything else. You know, I'm sure we've been out twice alone in the last two years. But it's okay. And he thinks he's happy and and I'm 
satisfied. My biggest obstacle right now is I don't feel like my house is big enough. And I get in these moves when the house gets really tore up and the kids is just, it looks like a hurricane hit it and I'll get really upset and start looking at new houses. Yeah. But as far as yeah. resenting her now, I don't. I'm just sad. Yeah, a lot of grief there. Yeah. There is. There are things that we still wanted to do and go. And before the kids, I had retired. I was a paralegal for 30 years. Oh. And I had retired and we were traveling. My husband has a oh. corporate position and I would travel with him on his business trip. So then after the kids, that obviously stopped and I had to go back to work. So I got my CNA, certified nursing assistant, and now I work with, with hospice. I work from eight at night till eight in the morning, three days a week. Oh my God. I sleep on during school. Paul has them at night. You know, he gets and does the whole nighttime thing and I only work three days a week. Okay. But it's still 36 hours. <laughs> So do you usually stay up all night throughout the week or only on those nights that you work? No, no, I don't. I've pretty well got it under control. And the place that I work is wonderful. And it's like I said, it's, it's a hospice, a private hospice house. Okay. Unless we have someone who's actively dying, I can rest. Okay. I don't okay. sleep, but I can at least, you know, take a little cat naps and I'm okay. awake enough to where I can hear, but I'm done enough where I can kind of get some rest. Oh, that's So good. it is, it's a really, it's, it's a good gig if you can get it. Yeah. Well, obviously, you're a really caring person working in hospice. And I think you told me that hospice is for people off the street, too, right? Yes, ma'am. That's pretty amazing that such a thing exists and that you're putting your heart and soul into that and into your whole family situation. It's just I can tell you're just a really giving person and have a lot of compassion to give to the world. So, yeah. So besides wanting a bigger house, I understand that that's a lot of children and toys. (laughs) I bet. What other support do you feel like grandparents and other relative caregivers are not getting? Like, what I want to know is, are you getting any sort of support from the community, from government, from any sort of agencies, or are you totally on your own? No, we're on our own. They give you nothing? No, because we adopted our our grandchildren privately. We didn't go through the state. It makes a difference if you adopt through like Department for Children's Services, DSPS. Okay. I think it's CPS where we live, but yeah. Okay. I understand what you're saying. But if we had adopted through them, then we would have gotten some help, but we didn't. We had a private adoption. Like fostering, you get some support, but once you adopt, maybe it just ends, huh? It is. And when we first had the kids, the mom had them on Medicaid. And so we were able to use that. Well, then after we took custody... We put them on our private insurance, but we were able to keep the Medicaid as secondary insurance. So if there was okay. mm-hmm. like emergency room visits, our deductible is $650. So with Medicaid, if something were to happen, we could take them and we could use that as a secondary, oh. right? Okay. And uh, then after we adopted them, we couldn't use the Medicaid because we make too much money. <laughs> so now if they're acting crazy and jumping on the couch and I'm like, we don't have the money for emergency room. So you yeah. have to get out. We, we don't have Medicaid anymore. You can't be jumping around. You know? No broken bones here. Not allowed. <laughs> no broken bones. Oh, my gosh. So it seems like this is a very large kind of a financial burden and just just a, a lifestyle. I'm not calling your children burdens, but I'm just feeling like the community needs to come around you guys a little bit better. Do you find that with all of the people in your support group that they're like, yeah, nobody's helping me. That's why we have each other. There, there is no one. Yeah. Um, it's, it can be very lonely. You know, we don't really have any friends anymore. I mean, we have friends, but we don't do things with them because nobody wants to go out to dinner with three little kids, you know, and I get yeah, that. They're like done with that. Pass that. <laughs> right. We're not invited to the football parties and things like yeah. that. Yeah. And I get that. Yeah. I have issues in my family because we had adopted the children. It's kind of like, well, you can't be a grandmother to mine because you've got these and it, it's a... Oh, oh, you have other children. Yeah, I have 11 grandchildren and a great-granddaughter also. Oh, and, and how many children do you have? Three. Oh, three kids. Okay, wow. Yeah. wow. And so I have been at odds with both of my older children for oh. quite a while. So it, you know, it's just one of those things. And if you talk to a lot of these grandparents, they have the same thing. Is it jealousy or just feeling replaced kind of? I try to be understanding with it, but like my son was like, 
you know, mom, you're enabling her by adopting these kids because now she knows she can go do what she wants to do and you're going to take care of her kids. If you put them in foster care, then she would have to get clean. I'm like, that's not how this Uh, works. uh -uh, uh -uh. That's not how this works. It's awful. So I have actually not had a relationship with my son in three years. Oh, gosh. But again, I have to pick my children. You know, these are babies. They didn't ask for this. Yeah. And my oldest daughter, she's kind of the same way. It's not as bad, but it's more like, you know, you can't be a grandmother to my kids. I don't want my kids to feel like that you love them more because they're in your house. I don't, I don't even know. I, oh. I, I stopped dealing with that a long time ago. I can't. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's so tough because now you've got that extra emotional baggage on top of everything <laughs> of your other kids. Oh, geez. You just get past it. it, it that's really okay in my life. I'm actually better if they just leave me alone. That, that way I don't have to hear all of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you don't need that in your ear all the time. Yeah, because you got to have your priorities really clear. You've got to raise these kids. That's your number one, right? Well, it is. And I hate it because like for holidays, the last couple of years, it's been kind of like, well, why do we not go to her house? And why are they not coming here? So this year, my husband and I have started a new tradition. And we are leaving on December the 21st and driving to Canada with the kids. Okay. And we're going to spend 10 days on the road, stopping at all of the sites in the Santa Claus villages and I actually have a member who lives in Evanston, Ontario, Canada, and we're going to go to her house and we're going to start a new tradition. Yeah. So nobody has to argue and wonder why you're not doing this and that. You're just doing your own thing. That's it. That's it. I think that's great. Now, it sounds like it was very quick of you to say, yes, we'll take the children. Of course, we'll take the children. Was there any part of you that were like, okay, maybe foster care? No. Foster care is just so fraught, right? Yeah, no, never crossed my mind. The kids can just go from one foster care to another, and many of them can be abusive, not all, but there's just horror stories about foster care. And if they're not family, they don't love your children, you know, the way you would. Uh, and We actually had the state investigator came here to do a home study when Elijah first came home. Mm-hmm. And she told me then that day, she said, "Miss Becker, I'm going to tell you that if you let your daughter come around here, I will come take all three of these children. And I had this knot in my stomach. And that's why I said, okay, I said, we're done. Yeah. You know, I took everything she owned and put it in the garage. Yeah. Oh, I, I would never take a chance like that. Does your daughter ever see them? Are you able to see them on Zoom or anything? Or No, the last time she actually saw the children was about two weeks before Thanksgiving last year. Okay. It had to stop. It had gotten really bad. She was saying hi. She was constantly getting arrested. And so I was like, no, we're, we're done. So she hasn't seen them now. If she calls and asks to speak with them, I'll ask them if they want to. And most of the time, they don't want to. They don't know her. They've lost connection with her. Yeah. So they don't have a, a deep desire to connect because right. mom's not been there for me this whole time. Right. And Katie still talks to them like they're babies. Oh. You know, she's been gone for three years. And they're not babies anymore. These are grown up little girls. And, you know, of course, she doesn't know Elijah at all. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And so when she gets out of jail or rehab or whatever and says, okay, I'm ready to see my kids. then what do you like? What's the boundary there? Like, will she be able to like, look at them? <laughs> like what? Uh, have you figured that out yet? No, because I still don't know what she's going to do. Yeah. You know, in a perfect world, what I would really like to happen is for her to go to the two and a half year residential, mm-hmm. stay there maybe another year and work there, get herself together, learn how to, function as an adult instead of a drug mm-hmm. addict you know mm-hmm. I mean she doesn't know how to write a check because yeah you know, right. you know there's so many things that they just don't learn because they're not doing these things yeah I want her to hold a job for a length of time I want to make sure that she stays clean and then we'll think about mm-hmm. it yeah but it's just right now I have no idea that makes sense now, as you know, I'm kind of in the adoption world. We adopted our son more traditionally, and I'm, you know, really into studying relinquishment trauma and that kind of thing. With your kids, it's different, isn't it? Because you're still connected with their mom and you're all related and it's different kind of relinquishment trauma. Do you even consider it relinquishment trauma? Where are you in that whole situation? Uh, the kids have lived with us since they were you know, tiny. Yeah. We have always been their safe place. I mean, we've always taken care of those 
as far as with them, there was never a relinquishment period. There was just a period when mom's stuff wasn't here anymore. Okay. Um, uh-huh. With me, there honestly, there are times I had wished that she would just go away. Mm-hmm. Just leave us alone. Just go away. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to have to explain anything. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, I don't really have a relinquishment issue with it. I don't get because I still want her to be a part of our life if she can. Yeah. So there's never going to be that total relinquishment unless she just yeah. really blows it this time. And then, you know, yeah. we're done. At this point, it's a choice. It's kind of a kind of a modified open adoption because you're obviously still connected with their birth mother. Right. Who's your daughter. So, yeah, it's it's very complicated. I imagine. And when you said something that made me realize that I bet you have to explain your situation to strangers and people (laughs) that you don't care about that much. Like, what do you say? Like, they probably assume they're your grandkids. Well, what's funny is Mia calls Paul daddy, but she calls me mama. Kaya calls us mom and daddy. And then Elijah calls me mama, which I think maybe mama, I'm not sure. And then he calls Paul daddy. So we'll be out and she'll be like, Daddy, Mamaw. And they're looking at us like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> now, is Mamaw like saying grandma? Grandmother, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. So I think, and I may be overthinking this, but I believe that maybe it's because Mia realizes she still does have a mom uh-huh. because she still remembers Katie to some degree. Uh, Kaya really doesn't remember her. Yeah. So I think that it's hard for her to place me as mom which is perfectly fine. We just, you know, whatever. Yeah. Whatever they're comfortable with. She will call me mom occasionally, but it's mostly mamaw. But it is funny when we're out in public and we're papa or we're daddy and mamaw. (laughs) 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 But Mia does not like for me to tell anybody that they're adopted. Yeah. She just doesn't want me to say anything. Yeah. Joey was never super thrilled when I would blurt that out. He's like, mom, it's none of their business. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're right. Absolutely. It's none of their business. So yeah, but people are nosy as heck. Right. And, and I guess I wanted them to realize these are more than my grandchildren. These are my children. Yeah. So yeah. me saying that was more of a, because I want you to know that they're in a different situation. They're ours, you know, Yeah. but I saw a look on Mia's face one day when I said that and I said Mia does it bother you when I say that you're adopted and she shook her head yes and I said do you want me to stop saying it and she said yes so I I didn't anymore yeah so like when you talk to the teachers and things like that do they figure it out or do you have a good relationship with the school and that kind of thing I do Um, the school I have them in is wonderful they've got wonderful teachers Um, We always do stress that the mom is not in the picture and there's no one else allowed to pick them up and that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. even though they have those protections, we always make a point of saying it anyway. I think that's super smart. You know, just make sure that you know that it's just me and him, no one else. Yeah. Nobody uh, else is on that emergency sheet. Right. But there are many grandparents raising grandchildren in school. Yeah, I guess, you know, they always say parents and guardians. So, but your parents anyway, but there's probably a lot of relatives, you know, maybe in the in-between stages, not adopted yet or not, you know, nothing's finalized yet, but maybe there's kids that just, their parents aren't available probably for mental health or addiction reasons. Do you have any idea how many, is there statistics about this kind of thing? There are in Georgia alone. There's 167,000 children living with a grandparent with no parent in the home. That's just in the state of Georgia. It's 3.7 million over the United States. Wow. Wow, that's a lot. It is a lot. That's a lot. And it's mostly grandparents, I suppose. Yes. That are doing the bulk of it. Maybe occasionally aunts or something like that. Great-grandmothers. And great-grandmothers? What? Whoa. Wow, that is so much for someone to deal with it however old you are when you're a great grandparent. Wow. Hi, yeah, yeah. It just hurts. One of our members in my group is 72 with a four-year-old. Well, I'm sorry, he didn't leave. I just turned five. Wow. And she's always questioning herself and she's always questioning, is this the right thing? And I said, absolutely. Is. He loves you so much and this is where he needs to be. And we just do this day by day. You know, you never know. Yeah. It's always better to keep family together you know, in, in the adoption work that I do, I feel like I'm kind of a family preservationist, which is exactly what you're doing. You know, you have 
children in your family that their parents aren't able to take care of them. So you stepped in. That's that's exactly what you hope would happen because then you've kept the lineage together, the heritage, the culture, the location. You know, look what I did. I I I schlepped my kid from Japan to the U.S. He's completely cut off from his lineage and his heritage, his language. You know, even though he was only seven months old, that's the only language he heard in utero. And for the first seven months was Japanese. Then all of a sudden, boom, now you're speaking English. Hello. I mean, that must just the language alone must have been a huge difficult piece. So you're doing it. You're doing the family preservation thing. And of course, there will always be parents that are not able to take care of their kids for a multitude of reasons, right? I guess mostly two reasons, mental health and addiction. Those are the big ones, right? Sometimes poverty, but usually that's also joined with some other stuff. But man, if family can step up, but sometimes there's not family or there's literally no one or there's not anyone else able to do it. There are family that will take them, but they do it not wanting to. Oh, yeah. It makes it even worse. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of bad talk about their parent or like, I'm doing this because... And they say that in front of the kids. I've, I've uh, seen that and it's, it's horrible. Oh, that's painful. Yeah, that makes it... That makes it... Oh, I don't know which would be better then. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe at that point, fostering or adoption outside of the home would be better than to have to grow up feeling terrible that you were born, you know, just like, Oh God, that's, that's That's really rough. Not their fault. No, it's not their fault. Oh, we got to do whatever we can for these kids. Oh my goodness. Okay. So if anyone's listening to this and you know, is not in your situation, but would like to help, what can we do? What can we do to help these relative caregivers? You can reach out. You can offer to sit with their kids. You You can offer to come over and help clean house. Mm-hmm. Just come over and be their friend. Bring dinner every once in a while. Yeah. Just show up at the door and say, hey, why don't you take out for you know 30 minutes, 40 minutes? Wow. Um, we mostly just need emotional support. The financial support, of course, is different. And that's why I have started this 501c3. Yeah. That's not what everybody can help with. That's, you know, everybody's struggling financially these days. And I get that. So we mostly need emotional support. We need to be understood that this is not an easy thing to do. And we could use your help. Yeah. If you have a friend that you knows that situation, just reach out and help. Yeah. I bet just a babysitting a couple of times would be a huge help. Get you guys out by yourselves, you and your husband. <laughs> yes. Um, that is one of the things that I'm working on in our group is to have a respite program. <sighs> we haven't quite figured out how to do it yet because a lot of the kids in CPS are who are actually in the custody of DFC, but they're with their grandparents or their guardians. Okay. They're very particular about who comes in and keeps the children. Oh, if they're not adopted. Yeah. You can't just like let somebody babysit them. Oh yeah. That's a lot of restrictions. Yeah. So we're, we're going to have to try to figure all that out. Mm -hmm. But if there's any way possible, I would love that to be something that we can help with in our program. Yeah. Cause you want to avoid burnout if you possibly can, because then that benefits nobody, right? If you got totally burnout uh, caregivers. Oof. Okay. So that's very good advice. If anyone knows relative caregivers, bring over dinner, offer to babysit, offer to just give them a break. Right. Yeah. Or just come sit down and talk to me for a few minutes. Let me, oh. yeah. let's just sit down and talk. That's like maybe not even about the kids. Right. Oh, no, definitely not about the kids. Are there other things to talk about? <laughs> well, I heard that there are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I think that's excellent advice. And that's something that all of us can do. You know, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of people struggling with money with the inflation and all that going on. But everybody can reach out and make a phone call or just be a friend yes. and help with the kids if possible. And do what they can. And if you can support monetarily, heck, go ahead and do that, right? Yes. I actually got a phone call from a lady this morning who is a friend of a friend. And she sent me a text and she said, I was wanting to know if there was anyone in our area that we could help by Christmas for this year. Because we, and she said, but I'd like to go through you because, you know, I know that you've got this group. So we don't have anybody in the close area. It's like two hours away. It's closer to Atlanta. But I had called the lady and I sent her a list of the things that the kids need and that they want. So I'm hoping that she'll she'll run with that. If not, there's always donations. We always have a donation fund going. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. That's so great. And your organization is called Joys and Challenges of Relative Caregivers. Correct. 
And and it's a nonprofit now, 501c3. We will be. We have not filed our 501c3 because we've gotten hung up with the articles because I've tried to do it myself because since I was a paralegal, I know enough just to be a little bit dangerous. So yeah, I, yeah. Had, I had to have my attorney come in and kind of redo those. But we will be we will be 501c3 by the first of the year. Okay. Awesome. Good job. Now we can still take donations, but the donations have to be understood that we are not 501c3. That has to be okay. stated up front. Okay, until around the 1st of uh, 2023. Correct. And right now, in order to help out for the Christmas and holidays, we have a GoFundMe, we have a Facebook GoFundMe, and we're going to have a pancake breakfast, 5th of November. Oh, nice. Yeah, we're really excited about that. We're going to make it a Santa Claus. Uh, my husband's big guy with a beard. And so okay. he's going to be Santa Claus, so it's going to be a holiday thing. And I have bought, when I, whenever I had the money, extra money, I would buy tons of toys that were on clearance. So I've got a big bucket of toys. So we're going to give away toys at the breakfast and, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, gosh, you're so big hearted. I, I am so impressed with you. What advice would you have for any parents of struggling teens without kids? Like, pretend they don't have kids yet. What what advice do you have for parents? Like for me, I have an 18-year-old kid that's struggling. What advice do you have looking back at your 14 years of your daughter's struggling and all of the experience you've had. What advice do you have? I personally would have paid more attention to it. I was a single mother. Um, I was working two jobs, trying to keep food on the table. I trusted Katie to make good decisions because she always had. Uh-huh. I just took for granted that she was making those good decisions. Okay. And just keep an eye on them. And, and if you feel like that there's something going on, give them a drug test. You know, I know that you hate to do that with your kids, but it's the very best way because they're going to have to be responsible too. Yeah. You know, if you've got to make them understand that you have to keep an eye on them. Yeah. And I'm not saying necessarily that you're using drugs, but just for my own, my own. Yeah. You know, let, let me just check and say, I have given that same advice to my daughter with her oldest mm-hmm. daughter or next mm-hmm. to the oldest daughter. Your other daughter. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, you have other teen. Do you have teen grandkids as oh, well? Oh, yes, ma'am, I do. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> you know, when my son is in recovery mode, he's like, Mom, please, please drug test me. Can you bring a drug test every time you see me? And I don't really like to do it, but occasionally we do. And he asks for it because he wants to know that there's somebody keeping track of him. Now, when he's using, he's probably not oh, going no. to want it or he'll fight me. So then I just know, okay, well, I guess he's using then if he's fighting me on it. So that is a pretty good way. Pretty good way to tell. Sometimes he likes going to IOP and PHPs because they usually will drug test him there. And that's kind of one of the main benefits of those is that you know that they're going to be testing. Another good thing that you can do is take your kids out into the community. Let them work in a community kitchen. Let them work at a homeless shelter. Let them mm-hmm. see what happens to you if you don't make good choices. Yeah. Because yeah. most of these people who, the, the folks that I work with who are at the hospice, most of them were drug addicts. And the people that you see in these homeless shelters, they were drug addicts. Sure. And so you know, they can see the damage that it does. Yeah. The homeless situation is, I don't know, what would you guess? 95% due to drugs? Oh, absolutely. Or mental illness Uh, or both. Oh yeah. Mental illness or both. Yeah. Yeah. Now does your daughter struggle with mental illness too? She does. She's bipolar. She was diagnosed with bipolar when she was about 17. Okay. Yeah. And she was already using substances by that time, right? Yes. So, okay. So does she stay on her meds or no? (laughs) She was not staying on her meds while she was doing her drugs, obviously. Yeah. Since she's in jail, she is. Yeah. And she seems to be pretty level most of the time. And she'll tell me, Mom, I don't think this medicine's working. I'm going to have to go back and see if they can readjust. My concern is when she gets out, she doesn't follow that closely. And and she is severe bipolar. Oof. She she gets manic. Oh, okay. So she stays up all night and makes rash decisions. Paranoia. Oh, paranoid. Oh, wow. Yeah. The paranoia is extreme. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So you can really tell if she's off her meds. Absolutely. Oh, boy. So, yeah, when you don't have somebody handing you medication twice a day or whatever, when she gets out, she's going to have to be on top of that herself. Right. And it seems like the really bad part is these kids wait until they're 18, 19 years old before they start this. And then by then they're adults, you can't control it anymore. All you can do is hope that they'll let you help. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah, she's 30 years old. We think Joey might have bipolar or something, but we've had trouble getting diagnosed. They won't diagnose him until he's sober. I'm like, well, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Let's figure out one or the other. Can we please, you know, like, and they won't treat him for the addiction until his mental health is under control. I'm like, well, you got to help one way or the other. I don't know, but maybe we can get him a diagnosis so we can know what we're dealing with. But it's a struggle with that mental health situation. Gosh, I'm so sorry. Well, hopefully she'll figure out a way to take her meds. I wish they would have a medication like a a shot or a patch or something that would last longer that you wouldn't have to rely on someone remembering. That would be nice. (laughs) Can somebody be on that, please? She is on seven different medications for her bipolar, for her mental illness. Wow. Yeah. And if any of that goes off the rails and the whole situation, bye-bye, right? Uh, You know, it's like you got to take it all as prescribed or else it, it sort of starts falling apart. Yeah, that's such a struggle. Well, hopefully she'll have support and go straight into another place where they'll hand her pills a couple times a day. And Okay, the last question. What advice do you have for relative caregivers that are taking care of relatives, either just kind of casually taking care of them or adopting or in the middle somewhere? What is your advice to those people? My advice to those people is just love those babies as hard as you can love them. Let them know that they're loved. You know, never give them a second thought that they aren't where they're supposed to be. Yeah. Make them feel secure. Do everything that you can do to make them feel secure because you never know what's in their little head. Yeah. You just got to keep telling them. You just got to keep loving them. Yeah. And keep them busy. (laughs) Yeah. That helps. Which also keeps you busy. (laughs) It's very important to keep them busy. They need to have an outlet like, you know, with my girls cheering, whether it's baseball, whether it's basketball, whether it's soccer, find something that they're interested in. Yeah. Um, The physicality is really good. Yeah. Get them away from screens, get them doing something with their body. I think that's really healthy. Exactly. And and generally, if you get them into an athletic program, you're not going to find kids who are doing dope in an athletic program. I mean, there may be, but I think you have a better chance if you've got, you know, a, a program like that that you have them in. And you have more people keeping an eye on them, too. Yeah, you do. I thought that was going to be our saving grace. And I kind of rested in that, though. And it was baseball kids that introduced my kid to drugs. So, oh, uh, well, then I back up on that one. <laughs> I know. I think I relied on that too much, though. I'm like, he would never jeopardize his baseball career. Er, I guess he would. (laughs) And, and in baseball, they are so far apart. He used to use drugs during practice because they're spread out so much. He'd use it on the field. So, but I I agree in general that, yeah, keeping them busy, keeping them doing things which are productive, you know, hang out with the kids that are doing the fun stuff and being productive and doing, doing things, not just, you know, eating Cheetos and smoking weed. And know (laughs) who your kids are with know who they are that's a huge one yes that's that's the biggest thing i would never let my kids go anywhere with anybody unless they came into the house i actually probably scared the dickens out of a few of my oldest daughter's boyfriends (laughs) you know they're they're, i'm a pretty good judge of character yeah and if you come in here and you do something that makes me worry about that then you can't you can't be her friend anymore yeah if you do that the first thing and you just met me. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a good indicator. Well, we had a, a boy that came over here to the house one time when, I mean, the kids were just little and Katie was living here. He laid down on my couch and went to sleep. Oh, that's strange. Right. And she said, well, he works at night. And I said, he needs to go home. Yeah. But I told him then, I said, you don't hang around people that go come to your home and they lay on your couch and go to sleep. It's, no. It's something that minor that still tells me there's a problem. Yeah. You think, would I do that? Absolutely. I I would not be able to fall asleep in somebody else's living room. That's crazy. No, no, not much your home. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yep. Yep. Well, oh gosh, there's just so many levels and layers of loss and grief, but also I sense so much love and compassion and maturity and care that you're putting into your whole family and your whole organization. And I think it's remarkable what you're doing. You, you've transformed your pain into helping other people, which is, you know, that's what we're trying to do here at Safe Home too. And I think that's beautiful when, when obviously there's a lot of pain 
but you aren't sitting in that and you're not dwelling in that and you're, you're enjoying your grandchildren and you're making sure that they have a wonderful childhood and know how much they're loved. And I just give you many, many bonus points for all of that. Thank you so much. Yeah. You're doing a great job. How do people get a hold of you either to join your group or to contribute to your group? Where's the best place for them to find you? My Facebook group is called Joys and Challenges of Relative Caregivers. We're a private group, but you can find us if you just can't see, you know, what's in the group. Or you can email me at C Becker, that's C B is in boy, E C K E R dot joys and challenges at gmail.com. Or you can call me at 706-944-3454. Awesome. I'll put all those in the notes. So don't worry if you didn't have a pencil right there. You can go look in the notes and I'll put all that information there. Well, I think you're doing an amazing job and I have met your group. I spoke with your group and they are just like you, loving and caring and putting in the time and energy to make sure their kids and their relatives, whoever they're caring for, are are getting what they need. So and getting what you all need, you know, as caregivers, getting the support you need. So that's really smart. So you don't uh, get depleted. So bravo. Well, let's see what we can do safe home to help help out these relative caregivers, either through this organization or just look around your own community, your own family and see who needs support and, and give that support to each other. It's really important. So thanks for coming on, Catherine. I appreciate your, your time and your sharing your family story with us. Thank you so much. You're so awesome. I, I really have a lot of respect for what you're doing also. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And listeners, please share this episode with anyone in your family or in your friend group that might benefit from hearing this story and might find some commonalities or find ways to help and find safe home on social media, YouTube. Uh, We also are on Patreon. If you're interested in helping support our organization and making sure we continue to have commercial free episodes and other events and things like that. We have a new adoptive parent support group, which Catherine is a part of. And it's called Aptitude with the capital A-P for adoptive parents. Aptitude, it's a support group for adoptive parents facing adoptions challenges. So if you're interested in that, look us up and you can find our website at safehomefamilies.com. So thanks again, Catherine, for being here. Everybody go support her organization. And Catherine and I want you all to stay Stay safe. safe.